SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to the Underdog Podcast, your home for G5 football. And it's an exciting time for the AAC, which this is the AAC portion of the Underdog Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Broback. That is Dan Morrison. We have a lot to talk about today. A lot of things related to the AAC, obviously. We're talking uh, position previews that started. We'll dive into that. We're doing our team previews as well. So we will talk about our first team uh, in just a little bit. But first, Dan, we're gonna we're gonna start with a topic that is really all the rage right now, and that is Yahoo Sports and really every other news outlet has announced that a 12-team college football playoff is the favorite. Not actually happening, but it is the favorite by the college football ideas committee or whatever they call themselves. The 12-team playoff is the favorite, I guess, um, which is kind of surprising. Well, let me ask you. Obviously, a lot of us wanted expansion. We wanted there to be more teams included. But I think maybe 99% of us were thinking – six or eight are you surprised that 12 was the number that was thrown out there yeah i know the official report came out today at 12 i had heard a rumor going back about a month or so ago that they were leaning 12 so i wasn't super surprised today when it came out as 12 but yeah it's surprising that they jump past eight just because that feels like the way we do things in this sport is we go as small and increment as possible and besides that i think with 12 there is this consideration of we're still calling these athletes amateurs we're still not paying them anything. And you're asking them to, if they're going to play in the national championship game, play 17 games. I think it is. If you do the math, like conference championship game, then run the table in the playoffs without the buy being 17 games, uh, which is an NFL schedule in terms of length and it's right through the holidays and finals and all those things. So I think there's, I think there's something to be said for, is that entirely practical? And it, what are the logistics look like there as they start to rake in even more money from these extra games. Uh, but at the same time, when I heard 12, I really liked it because I think it's better for the group of five as a whole uh, to get this 12 games for a couple of key reasons. First off, and this isn't necessarily something I was expecting them to say, but the, they're recommending the six top conference winners get in. Now, if you go by last year, that would have meant that the Pac-12 misses out entirely in the Sun Belt and AAC or in to the playoff, rather, uh, because Coastal Carolina was ranked ahead of the Pac-12 champion. I didn't even think about that because the one thing that a lot of people were getting mixed up was I think a lot of people, and I did this right away too, I think I just assumed that the AAC was going to be that sixth champion. But, yeah, but now, the language is different. Yeah, and now now you say that, that, that is crazy that the Pac-12 gets left out and the AAC and the Sun Belt gets in. That, oh, I didn't even yeah. I didn't even think about that. You know, it's a funny, another funny thing that if you look at the language of everything, they were the top four seeds as the top four conference winners. So hypothetically, you could have Alabama win the SEC and Georgia be the number three team in the country, but be the five seed. And that also means Notre Dame can never get a first round by. Yeah. Because they're not going to be a program, Notre Dame. Hey, it's the curse of independence plus whatever you want to call it. Not what we're talking about now. Um, and I thought that that works really well for the AAC, especially though, because they're pretty much already always getting that New Year's Six Bowl. So they'll pretty much always get that 
uh, playoff bowl, but also because there's the first round bye, they've got a lot better shot now of winning a game in the playoff rather than, you know, oh, you made it. Here's Alabama and you lose by 30 and everyone goes, see, they didn't belong. Well, now, I think last year Cincinnati can beat Texas A&M. I think that Cincinnati team was better than that Texas A&M team by a decently wide margin. And they may have had a home game out of it. Uh, you know, last year, Georgia would have had to travel to Cincinnati in December to play at Nippert Stadium. And I think that would be great to see. And I think Georgia would have lost that version of the game. Well, I tweeted this out earlier. If, if that ever happens where a, a G5 team gets a home field advantage, you think of Cincinnati, the UCFs, um, any of those teams really, you think about how loud that stadium is going to be. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, like a team like Georgia travels really well. So obviously that is like an mm-hmm. element that comes into it. But you're telling me Cincinnati gets a home game and they're going to let Georgia fans come in. Like how many no. Georgia fans do you think live near <laughs> Cincinnati? You know, oh, so yeah, it's like. <laughs> they have to make the trip or. You know, you can just imagine Notre Dame fans will be there if, like, say, Notre Dame had to go to Cincinnati, but Cincinnati fans would be way louder than them. It would just right, or like Ohio State going to Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ohio I think, State, I think, would beat them up in that stadium, but yeah. just in terms of the fans that come right. out. Well, if, if Ohio State's playing Cincinnati, it's probably because Ohio State had a down year because, let's be honest, yeah. I don't see, at least in the near future, any sort of G5 team making it above that six seed to be completely honest no. i highly doubt that'll happen seven or eight no, is probably more realistic but i think the thing that people need to realize is there are a lot of people today complaining about this expansion there are a lot of people who are like well this doesn't really do anything for the group of five and then there is also like well the sec is still going to dominate cool if the sec has like last year they would have gotten four teams in that's that's four out of the cares? 12. There's eight other teams that can get in. So I, I'm not super worried about that. Also, the, this notion that it doesn't do anything for the group of five. Like, if you even, like, remember anything from what we talked about last year, it's we want the group of five to have a shot. And right now they don't have that shot. And so mm-hmm. the biggest thing is, like, this is huge. Like, yeah, they're guaranteed one spot right now. Guaranteed mm-hmm. one spot. And, like, while one spot out of 12 <laughs> – isn't great we weren't asking for we want all 12 teams or we want half of the spots to go to g5 we wanted Mm -hmm. one spot we got it and you have to think long term because if you're looking at this from like a very superficial level like yeah expanding to 12 creates a whole bunch of issues Mm -hmm. however Mm -hmm. you brought up scheduling earlier and one thing that i want to mention is like yeah 17 or 18 games is a lot of games but one give it a conference championship games those are worthless just give it to whoever is there's so many things you can do and it's it's one of those things like this is the first step and i think people really just need to calm down and relax because one you're gonna watch the games we all know you're gonna yeah. watch the games whether you like it or not and two you can't just like do everything at once you can't say we have a 12 team play we're getting rid of two regular season games we're doing this we're doing that mm-hmm. like they can't do that because they would take forever to plan so you have to take one step at a time and also you have two years to figure out what you're going to do with that regular season schedule if you want to do some with it anyways because we're still doing four teams for this year and next year yeah yeah, the other thing with scheduling and what people were complaining about Google, oh, it devalues the regular season. That That's so dumb. I hate that it's argument. Still, 
So I hit is it devalues the regular season for as of right now in 2021 for about two teams, Clemson and Alabama. That's it. Right. I guess what their regular seasons are already really, really boring. Right. I don't watch Clemson during the regular season unless they're playing a team I like because it's just such a boring thing to watch them dominate Georgia Tech or NC State or whoever the ACC serves up to them on a platter. Yeah. It's a boring schedule. And you know what? They already get one loss. In 2017, Alabama didn't win their division and they made the playoff. you think that their regular season mattered that year? Not really. You know, I'm sorry, but the SEC will always have a disproportionate number of teams into the playoff, no matter what the size of the playoff is. And that that's fine, yeah. because if you look at last year, like Alabama, obviously really fun to watch. That, that's a yeah. really good team. Georgia was fun to watch. Florida, okay, I think what No defense, people, but they're fun. Well, whatever. Yeah, right. Florida, we don't talk about this enough. Like, they played Alabama tight in the SEC championship. Yeah. We don't talk about that ever, but they played them really tight. Yeah. So you're telling they me that one they or two can't... stops and then they had a shot. Right. You're telling me they can't make it to the national championship. Like they're fun to watch. And then who was the four? Texas A&M, A&M. would have been the four. Like it's not like you're letting in random teams. Like the, again, the Ole Miss doesn't is, get in last year. Yeah. Right. It's like the whole point is we want these good teams to get in so we can watch them. I don't care what conference they're from. <laughs> if they're a good team, they deserve to get in. And the whole devaluing mm-hmm. like. People who say that don't actually care about devaluing the season because right now, half of the teams that play college football, their seasons don't matter. Yeah. Even yeah. more than that, probably. Like, you're telling me that Vanderbilt is has a shot to get to the playoff? Like, that's because they're no. bad. But, like, the G5 is literally eliminated before the season even starts. Yeah, ECU fans, Tulsa fans, they don't watch their teams because they think they can win the national championship. They watch them because they love their teams. Right. You know, it's not, it just doesn't have anything to do with the national championship for so many fans. I think it's really arrogant to think that that's the only thing that matters. The other thing I think that's funny about this, and I'll get off the topic after I say this, uh, if you look at the college baseball tournament that's going on right now, or college softball, those tournaments are dominated by one or two conferences. The SEC basically, I think it was like 10 teams made the baseball tournament and no one bats an eye or complains that, oh, it makes the tournament not as good or devalues anything. Because no, the SEC is just the best baseball conference. And that's, so what, they got a bunch of teams in? Your conference got someone in too, though. So you all have a shot. Right. And that's what matters most. Right. I don't hear anybody complaining about the NFL like the Bucks won the Super Bowl. Do you think anybody's <laughs> mad about that? No, they couldn't care. The only less. time I'm mad is when the seven and nine Giants beat the Patriots in 07. That's just because I'm a Patriots fan. I was the only one who was mad about that. Well, yeah, then it's just I don't know. It's just kind of nine and seven, whatever they were. It's yeah, it, it's just like you're already devaluing the season. And like honestly, you're not yeah. mad at uh, you the, the NFL has how many teams? Is it twelve? Uh, in the playoffs, like, yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. So 12, yeah, 12. 12 out of 32. So you have a, like third, a third, yeah. A third of your teams get in. And now people are getting mad because 12 out of 130 teams get in. Like, let's yeah. all calm down. Like, the NFL is the most popular sport in the United States. And, it, like, no one complains about. Oh, well, they yeah. play too many games or their playoffs let too many teams in. Like, nobody mm-hmm. cares about that. Yeah, no. The same thing with the NBA and the NHL. More than 50% of their leagues make the playoffs every year and no one bats an eye. And don't get me wrong, some people will tell you the first-round matchups aren't great, especially in the NBA, but you still don't complain. 
oh man, the Celtics really didn't deserve their playoff spot this year just to be served up, uh, to be beaten by the Knicks or not Knicks, Nets. Uh, Nets, yeah, I don't watch the NBA, so just be thrown out best I can remember from my buddies. Yeah, uh, yeah not my sport. No big deal. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's overall, though, the playoff going to 12 teams, it's a good thing for the AAC. I wrote an article for Underdog Nasty a month or so ago when I had heard the initial rumor about 12 about which I thought would be better. I didn't think 12 was realistically the way they were going to go with it, but I do think it's better because there's more of a chance to win that game, though. Yeah, and it's, yeah, like I said, 12 was definitely a surprise. It was a very nice surprise given, like, if you look at how the college football play has been going over the last few years, it's been mm-hmm. full of disappointments and frustrations. That's, and so, that's terrible. While it was like, are awful. Right. Well, and while it's like, well, we were going to get six or eight is what we were thinking, it, they hit us with 12. And I think the most interesting thing that I read today, there's a lot of quotes going around, but um, Bob Bowsley, the Big 12 commissioner Mm -hmm. he said that he thought that the power five commissioners didn't realize how different it looked from the outside looking in just because they always had the fast track which is interesting because like you don't expect to hear that from a guy who's in you know that's something you'd hear from like the mountain west commissioner or the sunbelt commissioner not the big 12 the one thing i don't like about that is a lot of these ad's and commissioners who are the ad of the you know say you're the ad at texas or you're the you know commissioner of the acc a lot of times you have to work your way up to those higher paying jobs and that means you spent time at the group of five level as an ad or some kind of administrator so you do know you just don't once you get to oklahoma you forget because your focus is so on your program so in the back of their minds i'm sure they knew but yeah it's nice that they're at least opening up the thought process on it now. Yeah, I agree. And another thing that, again, it's a long-term solution, a long-term thing that's mm-hmm. going to help a lot of fan bases care more about other teams. They're not going to cheer for other teams, but a team like LSU, for example, could go 9-3, and three, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden they're watching – Georgia State and Louisiana, and they're cheering mm-hmm. for the Panthers because an undefeated Louisiana team is the only thing keeping them from getting in yeah. to the playoffs. So yeah. it's just you, yeah. it's better for the sport overall. And I think, like like I said, it's a long term process, but mm-hmm. you had to start somewhere. Yeah, it's it's a good way to convince me to watch Wisconsin football. Is what it is. Yeah, exactly. You know, you just you're more invested. It makes more important games, and I think. Mm-hmm. here's the thing the quality of play is not going to decrease none of these kids I, are going to take it anytime you're telling okay so here's the thing I, someone i saw someone say like well are we talking about kids are gonna they're gonna sit kids out or kids aren't gonna care as much oh. like you're telling me that nick saban is gonna let a malachi Moore or a bryce young just like throw the ball up for take grabs game off, like, yeah. no no like he, he might sit them and that's one thing but like no. you're telling me that they're playing like they're gonna play lsu and they're gonna think eh, well we can afford a loss like no they're gonna try no. to win every game so if you think that you yeah. clearly don't understand how anything works for athletes they're no, not basically. they're not wired that way 
that's just basic competitiveness is you don't take that game off. The other people are saying, well, now they're not going to schedule anyone tough because they don't have to prove anything in the they're scheduled to like 2035. They are, yeah. First off, they're already scheduled for the next decade, but like also at the same time, when you go to play these games, you need to protect your seating now because if you're going to get a bye week you need to be able to have the resume that says, look, we're Alabama and we beat Notre Dame and we beat, you know, a good Southern Miss team, maybe it's not three FCS games where we just walked through them and then took a loss in the regular season and said, well, that's good enough. We'll be the sixth seed. You know, right. that's not how people work. Right. And it's just a pessimistic point of view. Cause if you like, sure. Alabama could just say, we're going to schedule the Citadel Southern and some division three school for our non-conference game. Well, eventually it's going to come back to bite you because you're not tested enough. And while playing an sec schedule is fine, that doesn't always guarantee that you're going to be ready for the playoff. Hmm. Because what if, what if Alabama doesn't get a, a team like Georgia and Florida on their schedule mm -hmm. and say that everybody in their division is terrible that year. Yeah. Well, just you know, like this past year, if Texas A&M is the only real tough team you play in the regular season, you right. know, right. You go and then you play a Florida team that doesn't play a ton of defense, but is a good offense. So it's a shootout kind of game. Then you go to the playoff and let's also pretend that Alabama wasn't all NFL first round draft picks like they were last year. But then because of, you know, whatever reason you have to go and play a good Oklahoma team. Now their defense is improving. You can get surprised when you didn't think that was possible in the past. Right, exactly. And a team like Clemson, a team like Oklahoma, a team like Ohio State, those teams are capable of beating mm -hmm. you. So while yeah, you might not need to do that to you don't need to you might not need to schedule good teams to get mm -hmm. into the playoff, you're going to need that mm -hmm. experience so that your kids can get hit in the mouth and realize, hey, I know how to respond to this. Because if you're always kicking the crap out of everybody, you're never going to have a time where you're like, hey, I need to buckle down and figure this out. And mm -hmm. again, you have a guy, all these coaches too, like they don't think that way. They're not like, hey, let's make the easiest schedule. Let's take the easiest road. Like the reason why they're good coaches is because they challenged their kids and they got these kids to be where they are and get them to the mm -hmm. NFL. And there's just no way that they're all of a sudden just going to be like, eh, we got it easy. Let's just coast yeah. here because there's, yeah. uh, there's always going to be teams that are gunning for your spot At Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, Oklahoma, all have targets on their backs from yeah. within their conference and outside of their conference. So there's no way yeah. that they're just going to take it and say, well, let's just, we're going to be in if we have a loss. Yeah. No. The same way teams in the AAC, like Cincinnati can't coast knowing, go like, oh, we'll just run through. It'll be easy. Then we'll get to our New Year's Six game. Because even if you do get to the New Year's Six game, if you're coasting, you're probably going to get smacked in the mouth by someone. Yep. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So scheduling is going to be a big thing. And I think that people who are just opposed to a 12-team playoff aren't thinking about it logically. They're just thinking about it pessimistically. And, yeah, if you think about it that way, you're going to find things yeah. that confirm what you think. And it's just not – it's better for the sport. You're mm – -hmm. there are – obviously, there's – okay, here's the thing. There are issues with every sport. College football is not perfect. It's not. Yeah. We Everybody no. who watches college football knows that. It's not like anybody saying, like, college football though. is – the perfect sport there's nothing wrong with it. there's no flaws it's it's perfect no one's thinking that there's always going to be flaws but like you have to take steps at some point otherwise like let's just go back to a random poll deciding who's the national championship every or who is the national champion every year 
Like, let's mm-hmm. not do anything on the field. Let's play six games, maybe, and let's let's keep ties. Like, you know, there's yeah. a reason why we took steps forward. And everybody who is saying, you know, that there were people that didn't want to do a four-team playoff, and that's better yeah. than the two the BCS system. Mm-hmm. And then the twelve-team playoff is going to be the same thing. I mean, we could go on and on and on. It, it, we both we both agree that this is better for the sport. It's headed in the right direction. There obviously mm-hmm. are things that we both would like to yeah. see in terms of fixing things and making things better. But uh, overall, this is a good thing for the sport. It's going to make more games more important. It might not mm-hmm. affect the top teams, but this is for mm-hmm. the other teams that deserve to have a shot. Because we saw it in the first playoff, and all, there's been a, a few teams in every playoff since that got snubbed. And I mm-hmm. just really... Yes, there are going to be teams now that are 13, 14, 15 that feel they got snubbed. But when you have a 14 playoff with five Power Five conferences, that was your first problem. And now you've it's escalated into something a whole lot different. And I'm glad that mm-hmm. the higher powers are at least willing to do something about that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, enough about that. We can go. We could do a whole episode. And like I said, we got to get to uh, a team preview here, and uh, it'll be relevant to what we just talked about here. But first, uh, I just started my uh, position preview series for the AAC, and so far nobody's mad at me. Uh, so that's good. Uh, maybe that means that nobody's reading it, and that's just fine. But uh, usually, I get. <laughs> Uh, a few comments are like this is stupid and blah 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 blah. maybe it's because i didn't really get mad at anybody i don't know memphis yeah. fans have been kind of jumping down my throat for a while but yeah we'll, we'll see. maybe it'll pick up maybe it'll pick up I, next the next installation goes in tomorrow as we're recording on june 10th so june 11th is when that comes out and we'll talk about the running backs next but uh dan since you didn't write the article is there anything mm-hmm. that you disagreed with on there yeah, so I'll start with the very top is you had two elite quarterbacks. You had Dylan Gabriel, UCF, and Desmond Ritter, Cincinnati. Dylan Gabriel is the only elite quarterback in the conference. Oh, Desmond okay. Ritter is not elite. He's very good. He's a solid starter. He's not elite. This is a Desmond Ritter nearly lost his job after the Army game last year to Ben Bryant, who's no longer with Cincinnati, but we can talk about all that, the preview. Desmond Ritter does a lot of things very well. He's not an all-around elite quarterback. So I think there's only one that you can put at the top, and that's Dylan Gabriel, and that's fine. Yeah, you're such a I UCF do, fan. That's what I all know, UCF right? fans are too. Uh, does I'm, he belong with? Does he belong with the next guys that are listed? I don't think. He, I think. He's I think. Way he, I think he belongs somewhere. Well, yeah, he's somewhere in between the two. I just think that he's not elite. I do think that that second group is guys who we know have a lot of talent and potential. You know, Holton Aylers is a guy I expect to break out. But you can't put him at Ritter's level yet. I agree with that. Michael Pratt, I thought, showed flashes of really, really good quarterback playing. He also looked like a freshman a lot, which happens when you're a freshman. Uh, so I think those are two guys, especially who we can put a lot of faith that they'll take another step forward. But no, you can't put them as good as Ritter just yet. Because Ritter is a great leader. He's a great winner. He's a great decision maker. He's a great athlete. You cannot throw the ball downfield. And that's where I have my biggest issue with him. This is yeah. downfield. There's no big plays with Cincinnati because he really can't push the ball the way I think he needs to. Uh, Cincinnati fans, if you're listening to this, just ignore Dan. We're going to talk good about you in just a sec. I, 
and I'm going to say a lot of nice things about Ritter in a second, but that's going to be where I continue to come off of him. <laughs> yeah, maybe we shouldn't have talked about this. We should have waited until uh, something else. Oh, no worries. The other thing I think is interesting is where Tulsa ends up because you've got them at wait and see, and until they decide on their quarterback, it is wait and see. But if their quarterback Seth Boomer, I put them towards the bottom of the conference because I've seen him play before. And unless something miraculous happened as a backup last year or the year before that, then there's nothing to see. Right. And, and we, you know, we're not in, we're not at practice. We're not on the field seeing what he can do. Yeah. And, but like, here's the thing. The last two years that he's been on campus, he has been the backup quarterback. And so that means that in practice, he looks good enough for the coaching staff to say, yeah, if our top guy gets hurt, which Zach Smith in this mm-hmm. case, excuse me, the last three years, he was third string, I guess, his first year. But last year and the year before, he was behind Zach Smith. Mm-hmm. And so that means that the coaching staff likes him enough where he's not as good as Smith, but if Smith gets hurt, he's the next guy. And every time he went on the field, it was like, what Disaster. are you doing? And then even against, And there's a uh, reason there's a new guy coming in to challenge him. It's not just his job in waiting. Exactly. Yeah. In the Tulane game, we saw that Boomer wasn't getting the job done. And then Davis Brin comes in and pulls off mm-hmm. a miracle. And honestly, Brin looks so much better. Not even the fact that even if they lost that game, I would have said that Brin looked better because he just looked more confident throwing the ball. And I just, I don't know if maybe practices just aren't his thing, but like to me, the game evidence, though it's just one game, is enough to tell me that Davis yeah. Brin is a better quarterback than Seth Boomer. Yeah. Yeah, that and you had a lot of the transfer guys at wait and see, and I think that's probably the right place for them. You can maybe try to rate them under wait and see, like uh, Dewan Mathis, who transferred from Georgia to Temple. He looked really, really bad at Georgia, and I know he was playing an SEC schedule, but he looked really bad, and he was not getting starts over a walk on there. And I, so I don't know what's he going to look like at Temple. Is he going to have? Is it just going to be a better fit system-wise? Is it going to work out? I think that's wait half the season and then come back to me about whether or not he's working out. Uh, same with Jaron Williams, the former Miami quarterback. He flashed sometimes down there, but he was not consistent. He was not good enough for them. And he struggled well, in the spring game, too. He did. Cade Ford and looked like he's going to be the guy there who's you know, another guy we've seen very little of since he transferred from Power 5 to USF. So that's another spot where I think you have to give it half a season to see where they're actually at at quarterback before you can really accurately rank them as a right now. It is a guessing game. Uh, Tanner Mordecai of all the transfers, I think is the one that we can feel the safest and he's probably pretty good. Yeah. And the thing with that is I kind of, I have this principle of like, if we really don't know anything about them, you can't project anything. I mean, you can project all you want, but like even guys like Bryce Young in Alabama, I think that he's going to be very, very good, but I'm not going to put him as like, top a top 10 quarterback because he hasn't done anything on the field i think that we try to project too much with top 25 polls and position rankings we try to project too much like you look at jeremy johnson at auburn and how everybody was like he's the a top five quarterback he's Mm -hmm. the top 10 quarterback and then he was garbage and it's just like there's always team and i get that they're like well there's some guys that do project that way i'm like yeah but the fact is like nobody knows like yeah Yeah. blake or bryce young is a five-star guy he's super talented but that doesn't guarantee that he's gonna be successful now he looks like that but i can't do that with like 
Memphis, like Peter Parrish is super talented. He's a very good athlete. He can throw the football really well. Grant Gannell has a big arm too. But I'm not going to project them as the top quarterback in the conference. One, because that's not true. Because Dylan Gabriel exists. And two, it's just like you haven't seen either of them play with their current team. And we really don't have enough of the sample size to see. And like the other thing with Grant Gannell is he played Arizona and he didn't look that great. So now yeah, all of a sudden he's, he's like Memphis. He's leaving Arizona because he couldn't get on the field at Arizona, who is terrible. Right. They're bad. Just terrible. Like Where would they finish in the AAC? Third from last. You think so? They finished I, I think at least using like last year as a model. Well, maybe not last year because it was hard to judge during the pandemic. Going forward, I'd say, yeah, right about 10. Yeah, I think, I think the USF, the USF game would be a coin flip. I think everybody I think else they'd is beat Temple. better than Arizona. I think they'd beat Temple. And they, Navy could beat them just off triple option alone. Yeah. Oh, they'd have no idea what to do with right. that. Right. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, it's uh, there's plenty of time for people to usually yell at me. Usually I don't get a ton. I mean, quarterbacks is usually the most polarizing position. So and there's a lot but of people that so, looked at it. But. There's so much turnover at quarterback this year, though, in mm-hmm. the conference. That's hard to... Like you said, when you're going to take that wait and see approach instead of guessing based on recruiting rankings, right? Like I think the, Tanner Mordecai could be the second best quarterback in the AAC. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody's touching Dylan Gabriel, like you said, but Tanner Mordecai played decent in his mm-hmm. limited time at Oklahoma, and I think that he is an off. I mean, the guys around him are there's absolutely a ton of talent. He's loaded. Uh, really, all he has to do is just make a there you go. Great. You go do it like he doesn't have to do anything. And if he like he doesn't, if he's not that good, he literally just hey, I'm gonna throw the ball deep to Reggie Roberson, let him go get yeah. it. Hey, I'm gonna throw a screen to Danny Gray, let him go to the hand the ball off to Ulysses Bentley. I'm gonna throw the ball to Grant Calcutt. Like it's just how can you not be good in that offense? Exactly. So I mean, if I were a betting man, I'd say he'd be up there, but I get why you're not putting all that emphasis on guys who we haven't seen with this current team because we don't know. And I think that's fair. Exactly. All right. Now we're going to dive into the seed preview. We wasted enough time avoiding and we previewed, we kind of mentioned it before. We're talking about the Cincinnati Bearcats. And this is a team that won the AAC last year after finishing second to Memphis two years ago. Uh, they go 9-1 and one in 2020 in a weird year, and then they have the close loss to Georgia in the Peach Bowl. <laughs> in terms of returning production, there's not really a ton that they lose. You lose both tackles on the offensive side of the ball. You lose Jared Dokes at running back. Up front on the defensive side of the ball, you lose Elijah Ponder. And on the backside, the most, it's you know, the safeties, other, yeah. this two safeties and James Wiggins and Derek Forrest. But the biggest thing that I think we need to talk about, and we kind of just talked about in this in this article that we just discussed, Desmond Ritter. You mentioned before, yes. we talked about it, and it's been well known that, yes, he nearly got benched at the beginning of the year. But at the same time, you could say his last few games during the season were really, really good. So the biggest question is which Desmond Ritter are we getting? Are we getting the one that mm-hmm. finished the season strong or are we getting the one that struggled mightily? And uh, one of the things that you also mentioned is pushing the ball downfield. Now, granted Cincinnati was so dominant on offense at times that all Ritter really had to do was to dump it off to his tight end. That's running 
across the formation yeah. and just let them do work. And, and I, I think that this year he's going to have to do more in order to bring this offense to a new level. Yeah, I agree. The way what they do at Cincinnati, which is incredibly effective, is that RPO game where he can either give to it was Dokes, now it's going to be mostly Ford and whoever else kind of fills in that backfield. Yeah, Jerome Ford's uh, going to be a stud. Yeah, he's going. To, I expect him to be very good this year. Uh, but yeah, they would do that either hand to him or they'd have the tight end coming across, usually pretty shallow, maybe a wide receiver about ten yards downfield, and Ritter could also run with the ball depending on. You know, there's some variation, but it was basically RPOs in that manner. And Ritter fits that system very well because he makes decisions very well. He makes them quick. He's got a lot of experience, and he's a very good athlete. The issue is when you do that all a game against a defense like, say, I know there's not how these in the American, so maybe it's not the end of the world, but say when you play in Notre Dame, you're going to have to push the ball downfield because you cannot paper cut Notre Dame's defense to death. You just can't they're going to be better than you and they're faster. They're stronger. That's the reality of who they're recruiting and who they're bringing in. Uh, you saw this at the peach bowl. They Cincinnati could not consistently score against Georgia because that was a faster, stronger defense than they had. And you can't paper cut them the way you can paper cut Memphis or UCF. Uh, so you're going to need to be able to push it and put pressure on them vertically as well. Ritter has never proven that he can do that. And that is where if there's a fault on the offense, it's, well, it's either there or depending on how they replace the tackles, particularly James Hudson. One of those two things goes wrong. You could have some issues on offense. I I don't think they'll be bad on offense. I just don't think they're taking a major step forward. What do you think the biggest concern is on this team? Depth on offense. I think if Ritter gets hurt, now they've got a very good uh, backup there, but he's never really played. Uh, I'm forgetting his name right now, but he's – the highest recruit in their history, basically, which is why I should remember his name when we're doing the preview. But oh, the guy they just signed, yeah, uh, Brady was it Lich- Lichtenberg or something like that? Yeah, they've got talent behind these guys. It's just very unproven. Oh yeah. So if the offensive line replacing the tackles, if that doesn't go well, if Ritter gets hit more, if he gets knocked out some games, we don't know what's behind him. Uh, can Jerome Ford carry the entire? backfield on his own because we again we don't know if everything's going to work out replacing him i think he'll be fine there you know these are nitpicks i'm trying to come up with like what could go wrong no i i think this is going to be a team that scores 28 points a game or so 20 30 points in that range they they're not going to blow your doors off but they're not going to need to with their defense i have three big concerns with this team three okay i have three the fourth one, you could say a new face running the defense, but we'll talk that, about that in a second. I'm not super That's its own thing, yeah. First one is the tackle positions because yeah. if you recall in the Peach Bowl, James Hudson got ejected for something super dumb. It was just such it was a, a targeting, dumb... targeting, right? Yeah, just a stupid play. Targeting. plays over. And he, yeah, I understand it, it was tough, but the play was over. It was dumb, whatever. If you watched... Uh, what's his, what's the Georgia guy? Aziz Ojolari. Yeah. If you watched him against the backup that they put in, oh, yeah. it, it was, was like horrendous. Horrendous. Yeah. Like not James Hudson wasn't like dominating that matchup by any means because Ojolari's a, a, a great player. A, yeah. But but it was so different. Out, they, they completely lost the ability to go to that side of the field. It was. It, it did stop the offense in its tracks. That's my biggest concern 
because we saw what happened last year. Now it's new year and they can figure it out. Whatever. That's that's concern. Now you have two new because Darius Harper is also gone. So that's my Mm -hmm. biggest concern. Number two, which this leads into that, is what you mentioned, quarterback depth. If Ritter gets hurt, this team's screwed. Because while mm-hmm. Desmond Ritter has his limitations, there's also things that he he's still does a very good quarterback. That you, and, he, and he's experienced. You can't you can't teach what he has. Yeah, so this is going to be his fourth year as a starter. He's the winningest quarterback in Bearcats history. There's exactly. no way to get around those things. Yep, exactly. That's going to be my second third. Third is can the wide receivers actually become – explosive playmakers now you have michael young really came on strong at the end of the year alec pierce is one of the most underrated right wide receivers in all of college football and then Mm -hmm. who's the third guy Um, oh well josh wiley is the tight end he's he's solid they they use their tight ends a ton exactly um and leonard taylor is a backup tight end he's solid too so there's there's a lot to like but this Mm -hmm. wasn't like i said Maybe it's because they were so dominant at times that they didn't need to, but I would like to see them push the ball down the field more because, like you said, you're not going to be able to do that against – and we're kind of giving away – we're giving away a lot of things, which is nice. But yeah. we're going to talk about the schedule a little bit because I, I have some things to say about that. But like a team like Notre, Notre Dame, team like Indiana, who they're going to play, you're not going to mm-hmm. be able to just dump it off. Maybe you will. Maybe you'll dominate so much that you're going to be able to do that, but I highly doubt that. So – the, yeah. that's, that's number three. Can the wide receivers give Ritter – I mean, Ritter can make those throws, and they, those guys can get open, but they need to do that more consistently. I think the running game will be fine. Ford is a stud. He's an absolute beast. And if he gets hurt, there's a couple of guys behind him that I like. So I'm not really super concerned about depth at that position. I think I agree overall with you. Offensive depth is probably the biggest overlying concern. But can the wide receivers be more explosive yeah. than they were last year? Yeah, and I, I really like Michael Young in particular from that group. I think he's an excellent wide receiver. I, But, yeah, I don't see them necessarily becoming the way the UCF wide receivers were last year. And maybe that's partly by system design. Maybe it's partly by, you know, ability. And, but I, I don't see them getting to that point that, you know, I, I don't think there's like a Devontae Coxey or, you know, one of those guys who can just – go and put up monster numbers Mm -hmm. i just don't think it's there yeah and we'll flip the other side of the ball here uh because this is a side that i'm not as concerned about just given the amount of talent returning and the depth that they have Mm d line is going to be an absolute nightmare to block Myjay Sanders is one of the best defensive ends in the country. Marcus Brown and Curtis Brooks are solid up front. Now, which front they if they go three four, if they go four three, if they go three three five, I don't really know. They have the versatility to do that, but I'm not sure what they're going to do with that. Yeah, we can talk about that when I think we're going to lead into it in a second. But when we talk about the coordinator switch, from what I've heard, is they're still running three three five. Yeah, and let's actually go into that. So my. I mean, the biggest concern of the defense has to be the shift in leadership there. And it's not necessarily that Mike Trestle isn't going to be a good coach. It's just that he's not Marcus Freeman, and we know what Marcus Freeman can do with Cincinnati's talent. And obviously they're going to see – there's a lot of things we're going to talk about with that Notre Dame game. That might take (laughs) uh, a long time. I think the Notre Dame game is going to be fun to talk about. But are you concerned with – I don't think they're going to reach the ceiling that they did under Marcus Freeman, but I still think this is yeah. one of the best defenses in the country. Yeah. So let's talk quickly about Mike Trussell, because I don't think a lot of AAC fans know him. He was 
uh, at Cincinnati going back 20 years ago about now as a grad assistant, if I'm not, no, he was a grad assistant at Ohio State. I think he was a linebacker's coach at Cincinnati. Uh, but that's how he knows Luke Fickle. He was at Ohio State. He was under Jim Trestle, who was his uncle as a grad assistant. Jim Trestle was the mentor to Luke Fickle. Uh, he spent, I think, 14 years at Michigan State, many of them as the defense coordinator or co-defense coordinator. So he has experience in the role. He knows the region really well. It's the carbon copy of who you Luke Fickle wants to bring on to his staff. It's a guy he knows. It's a Midwestern guy. It's a defensive-minded guy. Uh, Luke Fickle, when they hired him, mentioned his play calling in particular as a benefit to having him on the staff. So I don't know if that means they're going to move at some point to a more structured defense that calls more specific plays. Freeman ran a very loose defense that allowed athletes to be athletes in space and basically say, we're going to coach up our players to be more naturally talent. We're going to get the best players because we recruit the best. Then we're going to coach them up to be as developed as possible. And then they're just going to be better than you in space. And we're going to win one-on-ones, which is what they've been doing under Marcus Freeman a lot of the time. So maybe there's a little bit more play calling scheme, but from what I've heard so far, it's still three, three, five. And the big shift he's tried to make in the spring is to do more pre-snap reads, kind of similar to what Clemson and Brent Venables do, where they see what you do and then they counter directly what you're doing rather than react after the play starts. Right. Yeah. It's it's going to be interesting to see what they do. And I, you know, Cincinnati or excuse me, Clemson took what they do from Iowa State. They had a, mm-hmm. a clinic that they went to and they basically just talked with Iowa State's defensive coordinator and say like, mm-hmm. how are you guys this good? And while Cincinnati is not Iowa State, I think they get more talent than Iowa State does. I think Cincinnati maybe. beats Iowa State in, the, in a game if they're to play. But yeah, it, I, I don't care who wins. I'm watching. Like it's just, <laughs> I think that's the smartest thing for them to do is do a three three five, just because yeah. you have Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant. To honestly, but I don't know if there are two so good there. You gotta have five guys on the field. Exactly. I, I I don't know if you have a better name combination than Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant. I think that's no. very hard to beat. Then you throw Arquan Bush at the nickel in the slot there, and then. Brian Cook it was really solid replacing James yeah. Wiggins last year. He did really, really well in the Peach Bowl. And then Javon Hicks had two years ago had five picks. So he, yeah. we know he can play. I've got no concerns about replacing the safeties back there for Cincinnati. I think that defense is still, in terms of just their talents, can be great. It really is just if Trestle changes too much in terms of the scheme day-to-day that they might fall off a bit, but... No, that's still going to be a very tough team to play. But you also have to remember Luke Fickle, the head coach, is a defensive guy. So you know he has his hands all over that defense. And it's philosophically, uh, mentally, you know, all these things are in his image anyways, even when it was Marcus Freeman there. So I'm not too concerned about it. All right. Now now the fun part. We're going to dive into the schedule here. Yeah. My biggest disappointment is that neither one of the big games – that we'll talk about in a second are at home. They travel on the road for both of them. Yeah. But the nice and the reason why I'm disappointed is because you come off a year where fans weren't allowed or were allowed in a limited capacity last year, and Cincinnati mm-hmm. had the year that they had, and they finished their year on a loss, which gives them a little bit of motivation. Mm-hmm. And now they're on this revenge tour where they're going to try to get they get snubbed from the playoff, they mm-hmm. lose on a field goal to a good team. And now they're ready to prove everybody wrong. 
And so you get fans back in. So I think the game, which the Miami of Ohio game is, but people don't know is that that's a, oh, rivalry that's a great there. rivalry that's and a great rivalry. Cincinnati should really wipe the floor with them. But you know, two years ago, it was like a 1916 game. It yeah. Was, I think it's going to be closer than people would expect based on team that played in the peach bowl versus relatively random max school. Uh, I think it's probably a 10 point or so game, but I think that's closer than most people would think. It's the first game of the year, so you can expect yeah. things to go a little bit rocky, especially with that defense trying to figure things out. Um, Miami, Ohio is a solid MAC team, but really when we're talking about it, the MAC shouldn't really be competing with the best AAC team, mm-hmm. honestly. So we'll, well, let's just get right into it. First, we'll talk about the first game here. So they play Miami, Ohio first on September 4th, and then on the 11th they play Murray State. So reasonably... 2-0. 2-0. There's really no yeah. reason why they shouldn't be. The third game, and I'm going to start us off here because I have a strong opinion about this. Okay, good, I think because I've it, got a stronger opinion on Notre Dame than Indiana. I, I think Indiana was one of the more overrated teams in college football last year, and I think that that Cincinnati goes in to Indiana and just dominates. I like so many things about Cincinnati. Now, don't get me wrong. I like Michael Penix. I like that they got Stephen Carr from USC. Mm-hmm. I like Ty Freivogel. I like Taiwan Mullen as a cornerback. But I think that Cincinnati is the more complete team, and you're not facing – you don't get to face a Penn State team that can't figure things out in week one. This is the third game of the season for Cincinnati, and they're going to be 2-0. I don't know Indiana's schedule. They'll probably be undefeated, too. I don't know who they play. But I just think that Cincinnati has so much more to prove. Oh, yeah. No. Penix is coming off an injury, too. So that's another thing to note. Yeah, it's even going to be healthy. Watt Fillier is gone, so they need a second wide receiver to step up. That's the thing where I think – Cincinnati has a big advantage as Indiana on offense is built around a couple of really good wide receivers. And Cincinnati's got that secondary that we were just talking about. So I think Ahmad Gardner against Ty Freifogel is going to be one of the most exciting matchups to watch this year. All right. And for the record, Indiana starts at Iowa, then they host Idaho before Cincinnati comes in. Okay. So they they could be one and one. Yeah, one and one, two and zero, oh, something. But they will not be on two. They will not be on two. And they'll, they have an essential bye week, same as Cincinnati does with Murray State. Exactly. Yeah. So two and zero oh versus two and zero, oh, both will be ranked at the time. One mm-hmm. of the best. Ma- I get. Thing is, it's okay. So with the twelve team playoff, which I'll, we're not going to dive into this too much, with the twelve team playoff. That becomes a really relevant game. Big Ten teams are going to pay attention to what does Cincinnati do against Indiana? What does Indiana do against Cincinnati? Mm-hmm. But even with a four-team playoff, yeah, this is a big game because it's a ranked win. Yeah, yeah. so the supposed way that an AAC team can make the playoff in a four-team format is to go undefeated the year before. Cincinnati didn't. They went 9-1, and one, but they were very close with Georgia in the Peach Bowl. They should have won that game. Whatever, everyone knows who they are. You're a marquee name brand coming into the year. You're going to be ranked in the top 10 to 15. Uh, You need to then have at least two, or preferably three, but at least two really good out-of-conference games on the schedule, which is why it's so hard because you schedule a decade in advance. So who knows who's going to be good when? They got them. They got Indiana. They got Notre Dame. Then they add UCF, who is respected now. 
Uh, they add Tulsa, who was in the conference championship game last year, maybe won't be the same this year, uh, and SMU. So they've got games that they can point to, probably four, I'd say, of those five teams I mentioned will be able to point to them as this was a really good win for us. And, I mean, how many wins does anyone else point to? How many does Oklahoma point to in a year that are really good wins? Probably not four, probably like two or three. Uh, so hypothetically, that's the way to do it is to then run the table on this schedule. If they do it, I can almost guarantee the goalposts get shifted again and people go, well, it was actually a pretty bad Notre Dame team. If you looked at, they were replacing the whole, you know, offensive line the quarterback blah 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 and then they'll end up number five or six and go play in the festival well i think that i think that indiana and notre dame have to finish with three losses or less because if indiana finishes like seven and five or yeah. six and six people are gonna be like well yeah. indiana wasn't that good i don't think notre dame drops that far i think they're too talented to be anything below eight and four but like oh, if cincinnati wins both bad. yeah but if cincinnati wins both of those games and those two teams end up flopping those two wins all of a sudden oh. don't seem as impressive later honestly the bigger issue i have i think notre dame will give cincinnati in terms of impressive wins I don't think Cincinnati, or not Cincinnati, I don't think Notre Dame will be worse than 10 and 2. I just think they're going to be the most depressing to watch 10 and 2 team there is in the country. <laughs> I think they're going to play a lot of really ugly games next year, and that's fine. They're Notre Dame. They're going to, you know, they'll probably go play in a Citrus Bowl from it or whatever. But a Citrus Bowl Notre Dame team that no one was really impressed by doesn't help Cincinnati out the way they need it to. Yeah, and so we'll dive into the Notre Dame game because you're you write for Slap the Sign, so you yes. into the Notre Dame territory. You kind of pay attention uh, to that and yeah, live in that world exactly. And it's kind of funny that they're playing Notre Dame because Marcus Freeman obviously goes there, and that brings a whole new dynamic to it. My one question is the one thing that I just thought of as we were recording. Does Marcus Freeman kind of have an advantage here because he knows what Cincinnati's going to run, even though he's Does coaching Cincinnati kind of have an advantage because they know what Marcus Freeman's going to run? True. I mean, but like, here, okay, the only thing that I'll counter with that is because what I'll say is that in the last year, we just talked about how Cincinnati's offense yeah. was fairly simple. So are you? do you think that like Cincinnati's offense probably wasn't if when they did one-on-ones or mm-hmm. ones versus ones, I should say, do you think it's Desmond Ritter's chopping up that secondary? And now you go no, to, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Now you bring in like not now Desmond Ritter has to th- figure out a way to beat Kyle Hamilton instead of James Wiggins. And that's going to be the biggest issue in the Notre Dame game with what I was saying earlier, not being able to stretch the ball downfield. If you let Kyle Hamilton play downhill on you, you're done. I because love he Kyle will break Hamilton. up best safety in college football, and it's not particularly close. Uh, he's going to play the whole game downfield until you beat the other safety because you're not going to beat him, even if you had him running the wrong direction. You're just not. Uh, he's going to come hard downfield at all these RPOs, and he's going to be right in the tight end's ribs every single time. If Ritter keeps it, he's fast enough to get off the tight end and get over to Ritter for a very short game and that's why i'm concerned uh, because i think the rest of the notre dame front seven which is one of the better front sevens in all of college football exactly yeah and that's why i'm concerned because 
I don't think that Ritter had a ton of success when they did ones versus ones because if Freeman is that good, I mean, I, I guarantee you that that defense ate the offense alive and that's mm-hmm. what made the offense better. But I don't think that Ritter's all of a sudden going to figure out how to – like that's why I think that Freeman mm-hmm. has the advantage is because he already knows how to get Ritter uncomfortable. They have two new tackles, so you know he's going to attack that. And they have yep. receivers that are not unproven, but they're not explosive. So he's probably just going to be like, we're going to load the box. If we have to put Kyle Hamilton back and just play one deep, then we're going to do that. But yeah. I, I just think that he has the advantage there, and that's going to – even though there's a ton returning for Cincinnati and not as a ton for Notre Dame, and there's a lot mm-hmm. coming back for Notre Dame. Still, well, but. Notre Dame's defense has a lot coming back. Yeah, so exactly. So one weak point on defense is cornerback, but it's cornerback, which is wiped out when you play Cincinnati because they don't have wide receivers who have proven that they can win one-on-ones consistently. And that's why that's Kyle, my third And besides, concern. Kyle Hamilton's over the top. Because exactly. So even if you do beat a guy, you've got Kyle Hamilton that you also have to deal with coming from, you know, the safety position. Uh, the concern, if you're a Notre Dame fan, which I'll turn it around a little bit because I do write for Slap the Sign, I do, I do a lot about the Notre Dame offense lately because I'm not a fan of it, to be honest. That Notre Dame offense has a ton of question marks. Four offensive linemen graduated. The one returning offensive lineman's coming off a broken foot. He was the center last year, Jarrett Patterson and they don't know where he's going to play on the offensive line because they're considering do we keep him at center, which is his natural position, or because he's our best offensive lineman, do we kick him out to tackle? So no one knows what any of the five offensive line positions at Notre Dame looks like right now. It could be Jared Patterson at any slot, probably either center or left tackle, followed by Josh Lugg is probably going to get a spot. They just got Kane Madden from Marshall. Yep, so he's probably coming over to start if I had to take a guess, which means – They've got slots after spring practice. They still don't know who's the starter in. So there's questions on a Notre Dame offensive line that has almost always been list your All-Americans and put them there. Uh, you know, Mike, sorry. Uh, Liam Eichenberg was drafted, I think, in the third round this past year, and he was the first Notre Dame left tackle ever, ever under Brian Kelly to not be a first-round left tackle. That's insane. Do you, so the, do you it, contribute that to COVID, or do you think that he wasn't as good as people thought he was? Eichenberg? Because uh, I thought he was Eichenberg, good. Eichenberg was good. He just wasn't great. He wasn't Mike McGlinchey, Ronnie Stanley, uh, you know, the Martin brothers, Quentin Nelson. These are the guys who came before him, you have to remember. You know, the guys who came before him are all, all pros in the NFL. They're not just getting drafted high. They're succeeding. So he wasn't quite at that level. That's all. Uh but anyways, they have to replace the offensive line, which we don't know if they will succeed. I suspect they'll do pretty well, but they might have growing pains early in the season. It's hard to say. Second question is the quarterback. Jack Cohn's the presumed starter. But he's not. He's kind of like Desmond Ritter, and you know he's not going to do anything so special. You know he's going to be solid. He's like every other Wisconsin quarterback they have, where yeah. it's like you show exactly. like signs, of, like signs of oh, Jack Cohn's gonna be super good, and then two games uh, later, you're like, why is Jack Cohn a Division One quarterback? Uh, I'll just say, after the spring game, Notre Dame fans are already calling for Tyler Buckner, the uh, stud freshman, true freshman who didn't play a senior year of high school, to be the starter week one. Oh, go with- go for it! You want to put it, at least if you're gonna play Cincinnati with someone put Cone in there where at least you're going to have someone who's been battle tested, who's played in those big games and isn't just going to crap his pants because he's 
doesn't know what to do and instead of a true I, freshman who hasn't played I think since Buckner needs to, year. yeah Buckner needs to sit for a year that's my personal opinion uh third thing Notre Dame's wide receivers are much worse than Cincinnati's they don't have a prayer there's no receiver. way they're terrible dude Michael Mayer's pretty good I guess he's not a he's a tight receiver. end yeah, he's a tight end he's excellent hey, throw, he's, throw he's a excellent, tight end 30 times and that's what they're gonna do Tommy Reese said something about like well that's all I did when I was at Notre Dame so that's all you could Tommy <laughs> That's all you could do is throw to Tyler Eifert. Okay, here. is uh, it Tommy or is it Tom or is it Thomas? What what are we, Mister Reese? I'm still calling him Tommy because that's why I remember him as a player. I think he said he doesn't really care that much, and there was a debate about whether well Tom's more adult now that he's 29 years old <laughs> or whatever he is. Well, even with the talent they have, throw, we've been saying it going against that secondary is no. not going to be easy. So unless no. you want to put like Chris Tyree out in the slot or something like that, like you no, know, they're going to they're going to run him 30 times a game, zone read left, zone read right, and then Kyron uh, Williams the other 30 times. Yeah, that's all there is to it. Uh, no, I mean they need to prove at Notre Dame they need one guy in particular in my opinion Braden Lindsay to step up and be the downfield threat he can be because he's a speedster he was injured most of last year the year before that he was a little disappointing they need him to step up he's the guy if Notre Dame can get him going the whole offense can click until that happens though they're not going to be able to do anything but run the ball and throw it to the tight end over the middle well, and I don't think Cincinnati is scared of that so I think yeah. this game's going to be like very low scoring pretty ugly game to watch and I think Cincinnati's got a good shot of upsetting Notre Dame Okay, I don't cool. Then we'll go into we'll go into this because that leads perfectly. Next. Well, one thing I'll say is that um, Tulsa cornerback Caleb Evans has Notre Dame in his top five, so that could be yes, does. a name to I keep an eye on. My for... understanding is he's the top five is really a top two between Notre Dame and Texas, but that's my understanding of where he's at. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see, and that will be a familiar face for the. Bearcats if he goes see. there, then Notre Dame's defense pretty much fixes their last issue, which is corner. Well, okay, so then let's go into the one. We'll just do wrap this up really quick. We'll wrap up the yeah. game, and then we'll go into the conference schedule. What is the one thing that Cincinnati needs to do to beat Notre Dame to ensure that they win? To beat Notre Dame, they need to throw over Kyle Hamilton's head in the first quarter. They need to make him respect their just ability throw to throw deep. bombs. Well, they need to complete it too, but... No, just they throw them. Just, I don't just care. Close throw them and, and let's it. see what happens. Rip it and rip it, yeah. So that's the thing. You need to get Kyle Hamilton out of the box. You need to make him respect what you're doing underneath so that you can actually do what you do underneath. It still won't be easy even if he's back in the secondary, but you can't let him know what's coming. It's going to be interesting, that's... that's for sure. It's something that... Now, the tough part is that we it's tough because we get two great games in a row. You get you get the Indiana game on the 18th yep. and then I guess I take that back. You get it's also, Cincinnati gets two weeks off it, until they play Notre it's Dame. It's worth pointing out Notre Dame the week before Cincinnati plays their other toughest game on the schedule, which is Wisconsin. Oh, okay. So now I'm really liking Wisconsin. now I'm really liking Wisconsin Cincinnati's to Cincinnati chances. like like that. Okay. That's that's really nice. So I guess it's not as tough as I was thinking because I forgot that it's two weeks between Indiana and Notre Dame. So, you know, they really, they really can't look time. ahead because there's nothing coming up the next week. And I think I think they beat Indiana soundly. And I think that then that builds up to a potential top 10 matchup. And yeah, don't be right about their depending on how Notre Dame does against Wisconsin. Exactly, yeah. And that's, that's going to be interesting to see. Now, the thing is, even if they get to 4-0 – 
It's not like it gets easier from there. Now, it does the next week as you play Temple, which is like a bye week for really everybody except maybe. (laughs) Don't really have to talk about that. But then, really, the matchup I think everybody has circled in terms of the AAC is Cincinnati-UCF, which has been one of the better matchups in the last couple years. Yeah, and it's at Cincinnati this year. It is at Cincinnati, which was the last time – wait, did Cincinnati – Last year was at UCF. The 2019 game was at Cincinnati. That was when UCF lost its conference winning streak that had started back in 2017. That's right, and Gabriel looked – really that, bad. that was the game yeah that was the game gabriel really looked like a freshman uh ucf moved the ball very well on cincinnati but then once they got into the red zone they turn over after turnover in the red zone yeah that's when we realized that hypo wasn't actually as good as he everybody said he was yeah that's when it became clear that when these receivers can't run a skull route for hypo that he had no idea where they were going to run to <laughs> Yeah, exactly it was bad so that's a big game and then you throw i don't know the thing is like i want to say navy's another bye week but like we just don't know what navy's going to be if so. navy finds a quarterback they're the worst week that you'll play all season yep and then the last the last five games are very interesting in my opinion you get tulane a team that is i think going to be one of the better teams in the conference a team that returns a ton of experience a ton of talent mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I don't know at that point, like at that I'd be point, interested if, to see how Michael Pratt develops. Exactly. If Cincinnati's seven and oh, then I, I, you know, at some point they're going to have a game where it's a letdown. Now, is that a UCF game that might be, um, and we'll see, uh, maybe not a letdown game. That game I think is going to be close for sure. I don't think, I it's, think it'll be very interesting to see what Gus Malzahn does to, basically test that defense in a way that it was not getting tested under Heifel. Exactly. And they have the talent to test them vertically with Jalen Robinson and Ryan O'Keefe. Four transfer wide receivers coming into UCF. I know this isn't UCF preview day, but a lot of people have been talking about, oh, there's a lot of stuff that graduated from that offense. They reloaded pretty well with the transfer market. So there's still a lot of offense to worry about. Um, Yeah, that's going to be interesting. But yeah, Tulane is another team. I'm not sure. I mean, I think that the front seven for Tulane is really, really good. They're going to test Cincinnati in ways that I think Notre Dame is going to do. And Mm -hmm. I think that offense is going to push Cincinnati maybe to its limit. I think another thing is we don't ever want to talk about it. Right, exactly. We don't want to talk about it, but injuries – Maybe that maybe Cincinnati's a little banged up because yeah. you're playing Indiana and Notre Dame. I'd be very surprised if they don't come out with a casualty or two in oh, terms of the Navy injuries. game. Navy cut blocks you all day long. Like, exactly, there's a chance you leave with a, with a couple guys missing from your exactly. Defense line and if you're looking game. past Navy because you have Tulane and Tulsa coming up, and while Tulsa's really more UCF's worry than Cincinnati's. Hey, we're still, not talking about that. Yeah, exactly. As Tulsa is another team that you have to worry about, though, even without their top two corners. I mean, Cincinnati I think Tulsa their... is going to take a major step back next year, but they're still. Yeah, they got hit with they... some. They got hit with some transfers at really bad times. That's just yeah. Really Zayvon Collins graduated. You lost your, I think, your best corner, and you lost Allie uh, Green just... and a Caleb Evans. Yeah, I and the back one of the backups too. It's just like and oh. your quarterback left, and you have to find a replacement for him. And yeah. we already talked earlier about how Seth Boomer is not, in either of our opinions, the guy you should be relying on. So right, and then you know you if you get through 
at USF after that. USF. So. I think USF's going to be a better team this year, but not anything USF, crazy. Yeah, USF um, scared a couple of good teams at the end of last season. Memphis, UCF, they didn't beat them, obviously, but that's a team that could take a step forward and scare Cincinnati. I don't think it's a team uh, that can realistically beat Cincinnati. Right. And then the thing is, they get if say they make it to ten and zero, say that they're still somehow undefeated at this point. I think the next two games are the most the besides Indiana Notre Dame. I think these are the two games that are the most dangerous for Cincinnati. Oh yeah, depending I, on I, what the record is, because if they're ten and zero, SMU could be a team that's going to be playing on fire. I think that they and UCF will be the top two challengers. Cincinnati this year and if SMU is finally figures out how to play a little bit of defense Cincinnati might be in trouble I think that game again it's at Cincinnati it's in November I think that's going to hurt SMU I think Cincinnati wins this game I think SMU puts up a bunch of points in the process trying to stop them though I just don't know that's SMU's SMU and until they start proving they can get a stop until Sonny Dykes can prove he can win those big games i'm not trusting them just yet but that might be a good spot for game day to end up that would be awesome i would love that uh but then the most difficult game on the schedule if cincinnati is 11 and 0 and i don't care what you say the numbers tell me and i'm gonna tell you why this is the most difficult game so ecu is the final game and it's at ecu so one it's on the road that's that's Mm -hmm. the first thing number two and this, this is equally as important. Mm-hmm. Holt Nailers is due for a 500-yard passing game because if you look at his last three games against Cincinnati, the first game he threw for oh, 87 yeah. yards with like one touchdown terrible. and three picks. The second game, his sophomore year, he threw for 535 yards and six touchdowns against this secondary that's the essentially the exact same. And then last year, he threw for like 100-some yards. And didn't look good. So, what does that mean, Dan? I think that it means that he's supposed to be good next year. It means he's due for 500 yards and like five plus touchdowns. So, Cincinnati, if you're 11 and 0, I'm sorry, you're probably going 11 and 1 because Holt Nailers is gonna carve you up because he did it two years ago. No, and he probably isn't going to actually do that because I don't know what Holton Nealers is going to do. But Lob Numbers says that he's due for 500 yards and five-plus touchdowns. So I'm sorry. It just is mm-hmm. what it is. It's going to happen. And if Holton Nealers puts it all together, that's not entirely unrealistic. Yeah, no. I mean, ECU, I think we've talked about it plenty. We expect them to be better. It's a trap game when you get down to it because they're they're going to be looking at the conference championship game the next week. They're going to be coming off a tough one. Uh, it's it's tough to squeeze ECU in there. It's also tough to trust that ECU can actually thread in a really good team because they haven't done it in so long though. Cincinnati should win that game in a vacuum. They should win it going away handily. Like you said, there's a. I think there's a chance ECU puts up some points. I don't. We were just talking about SMU's defense hasn't done anything in recent years. Neither has ECU's. So maybe, probably not. And then if they finish twelve and zero, even if they don't, they probably will still be in the conference championship. I don't see a way in which they're not. No, I think I already know who you're going to pick one. to play them. So I don't even have to ask you why UCF is the team that they'll play. 
<laughs> it's it's between UCF and SMU. I don't think anybody's contending yeah. with those three teams, but I think yeah, if we want to talk about it, I think UCF just has a better chance of turning around their defense than SMU does. I think that the new staff, I think some of the additions through either the transfer portal or just uh just guys who are going to be a little bit more mature next year after another year under their belt, I think there's a good chance that defense is not made not great, but at least average, which they were not close to last year. Yeah, it'll be interesting for sure. Uh, and we'll we'll end this episode as we've recorded now for a while, but not not yeah. too long. We did pretty good with everything, but we'll end it with two things. First question: If if Cincinnati is four zero after the Notre Dame game, how high are they ranked? Not that it matters because the AP poll is garbage and doesn't mean anything, but how high will they be in the AP poll? Uh, they will not be top four. They'll probably be between five and eight in that range. Oh, so they'll be like Houston in 2016. Great. Yeah, they, they won't let them get top four because that's dangerous. Yeah, because well, it doesn't well, matter, though. The AP, they, they could the rank AP them first. It won't matter. No, the AP poll is different than the playoff, but I don't think they get that high. And then my second question is say that they run the table, they go 13-0, and say that Notre Dame and Indiana are where they need to be. Because we both, we both agreed that if one of those two teams isn't as good as advertised, that Cincinnati's playoff hopes are basically not. Uh, so if they are where they're advertised, can this team realistically get into the playoff or are they still at the mercy of the other four teams that are probably going to get above them that are from power five conferences? Best case scenario, Cincinnati does all that. The goalposts will shift and they will not make the playoff. And maybe they get a, Hey, you're in the top two out or the next two out, whatever you want to call it. But no, they'll be in the Fiesta Bowl. What has to happen for, okay. I'm adding a third question because I don't care. What has to happen it's just we obviously we just talked about what they need to do. We know what Cincinnati yeah. needs to do. Does it have to be two two lost teams from yeah. the Big yeah, Twelve, I mean, the Pac twelve, or Big Ten? Even I don't even you, know. You need multiple Power Five conferences see themselves alive is what you need to have happen, and you probably need to accept Alabama, Clemson are getting in. Give them those two spots. Maybe even just say Ohio State gets in, and there's just one spot, and hope that the Big Twelve. Iowa State beats Oklahoma, Texas beats Iowa State, and they kind of do that circle thing that they sometimes do in the Big 12 where everyone ends up with one or two losses because of it, and they're just not quite, and you just can't quite justify a two-loss Iowa State being the playoff over undefeated Cincinnati. And you need the Pac-12 to do the same, or Oregon, Washington, USC, whoever it might be, Utah, Arizona State. They all eat each other alive. Yeah, I think that we're going to see very, very few undefeated teams this year, given that nearly everyone returns nearly everyone. So it's going to be interesting to see what uh, what comes out of this year. But Cincinnati, obviously, very talented team. They have the schedule that at least gives them a chance to be in the conversation. Will they be in the college football playoff? I don't really know. Let us know what you think. If we're completely dumb, let us know. And if you agree, then let us know that as well. Uh, until next time, we will continue our team preview series. Uh, let us know who you're excited to hear about. Uh, we're going to do, obviously, all 11 teams. We're not going to tell you the order. You'll see that as we uh, go along. And uh, college football season will be here before we know it. 